Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Jackie and I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. This is such a special time of the year to remember our honoree, and that, of course, is Jesus Christ, to rejoice in his life, appreciate him for who he is and what he's done for us. Yet in the case of Jesus, we don't just honor him on his birthday, or at least we shouldn't. His birthday is special, but his life is special and to be honored 24-7, 365, not just on his birthday. We actually see that in the Christmas story. It's interesting to look at the people and see their focus on their Messiah before he was born, as well as how they lived their lives for their Messiah. These are people who sought Jesus and continued to seek him long after his birth. So today we have to ask ourselves, are we seeking Jesus? Are we seeking him for his second coming? Because we, by all intents and purposes, are living in the time when he could return at any time. Are we seeking him? Are we seeking his prophecies? Are we desiring to follow him now and continued on until the time that he returns or we go to be with him? I'm Debbie Blank, welcoming you this Christmas and encouraging you to consider if you're willing to be a forever seeker of Jesus. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Human brains possess a prioritization ability within what's called the reticular activating systems. When simplified, it just means that if you're actually looking for something, you're much more likely to see it. An example would be, say you just learned that you need some new snow tires. You will now be much more likely to be aware of commercials and ads for snow tires. The previous day, before you knew you needed them, you wouldn't even have noticed any ads for snow tires. In the Christmas story, we see humble people who desired a Savior watching for the signs of the promised Messiah. Because of this, a young couple believed the angel Gabriel and surrendered to God's plan. Some faraway kings noticed a particular star and followed it, and shepherds who rejoiced at the message of the angels hurried off to worship him. And those who didn't realize their need or weren't interested in looking had completely different reactions. Yes, what action or reaction will we have as we look forward to the prophecies and the truths of God's word about Jesus' second coming? I was so awestruck as I read the Christmas passage this year as to how many people were actually seeking him. You know, we read a lot about people today or hear about people who just are nominal Christians who aren't really paying that much attention to God or his word or especially the return of Jesus Christ. But then there are those who are. And for those of us who are awaiting and anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, we have a desire to seek him, seek him in everything we do, in every way we live and in ways that we can honor him. And that's what we want to encourage for you, our listeners. And we hope that as we read the Christmas story today and look at each of these people as to how they sought Jesus, that you'll have a heart to seek him too, because you will be rewarded just as they were because they were seeking the Messiah. 
The time's right for his return any time now. We're living in the most unique time in all of history besides his first coming. So this is the time for you and I, above all other times, to be genuinely seeking out and anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. The signs are there to be seen. We just have to know and be watching for them. That's right. We want to go back to the Christmas story now in Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2. Look at the characters and see how they were seeking God before he was ever revealed to them. And we start chronologically, at least, with Mary, because she's the first one mentioned in the story, even though she's in Luke chapter 1 instead of in Matthew. Let's begin by reading in verse 26. It tells us, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we first learn that she's a virgin, which tells us that she's very young. She could be as young as 14 years of age, no older than probably 16 or 17. It says in verse 28, Coming in, the angel said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. The first thing we really learn about her besides her age is that she is called favored one. This word favored is sharitu in the Greek, which means it's a grace that has a special honor. So it's not just the grace that you and I have from God, that unmerited favor where God forgives us of our sins and draws us to himself, the grace that we so are grateful for. This is a different kind of a grace because God is saying that he has a special honor designed for Mary. He goes on to say then, the Lord is with you. Again, the Lord is with you isn't just a nice little platitude that someone says, the Lord be with you. The angel Gabriel was recognizing that there was something unique about Mary. God was not only with her, but she was with God. She was actively seeking him. We'll see that later as she worships him by using scripture, which tells us that she knew scripture. She had a relationship with God. Now, by tradition, her parents' names were Joachim and Anna. He was a priest. So it certainly is logical that as a priest, he would have done his priestly duties with his wife and his children, even though Mary was a woman. And what is that priestly duty? We're told in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So as a godly priest, he would have taught Mary the truths of God, the truths of the Messiah, the truths of having a relationship with him. And when we think of what it meant to be the mother of the Messiah all through Jewish history from Eve on, when the promise was that there would be a Messiah born, there was the hope that each devout Jewish girl would one day perhaps be that chosen one that would be the mother of the Savior. So it was kind of the desire of the ages, the desire of the Jewish women. And so she knew that her father especially would have made sure that she knew those scriptures But still, to be the one, to be the one who's chosen was quite a surprise. It was very startling to her. So Gabriel does try to reassure her and explain things to her. He does. If we go back to Genesis chapter 4, in verse 1, we're told that the man had relations with his wife Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, 
I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Scholars will tell you that that phrase, I have gotten or begotten a man-child with the help of the Lord, was Eve believing that she had conceived the Messiah that had been promised in chapter 3 after sin came into the world. So as you say, Jewish people knew from long times ago that God had promised a Messiah and that any woman could be the mother of their Messiah. And here, Mary is that person. How does Mary respond when the angel calls her these things? It says in verse 29, she was greatly troubled. I'd be pretty troubled if I saw an angel and he was saying these things to me. But what was she troubled at? It says she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation it might be. So she wasn't troubled that an angel was speaking to her. She wasn't troubled that something spectacular was going on here that she was going to be part of. She was troubled because she was called favored one, the Lord is with you. She probably did not feel comfortable being called that. She was a humble woman and would not have wanted to be escalated to a higher position. So she was troubled by the words, not by what was going on. But the angel said to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. And of course, Jesus means God is salvation. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. It's very clear from that passage, as well as the next verse, that this is the Messiah. Because it says in verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. How did Mary respond? Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? So the angel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. That's a key verse. Only God could take himself and put himself in the form of a baby inside a woman's womb. So here's Mary, a humble woman. She's expecting the Messiah. She wasn't shocked at this explanation of what was going to happen. She anticipated. Did she think she would be the mother of the Messiah? Probably not. I mean, a lot of women might have thought that, but a humble person will not generally think that she is the one who God is going to use because they are lowly. That's the definition of being humble. And lowly doesn't mean they're not worthy. It simply means that they have a greater esteem of God than they do of themselves. Mary was clearly humble. As she even says in verse 48, Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Bond slave here in the Greek is doule, which means that she was completely, totally committed to God. She had made a decision to follow him and would follow him all of her life. And then in verse 38, when she says that, she said, be it done to me according to your will. She's showing her obedience, her humble obedience to the God that she's been seeking, that she's been waiting for, that she's been anticipating, and now that she is going to see as her own offspring. It's so wonderful that when Gabriel speaks to her and realizes 
that she has a question, and it's a legitimate question. She's not arguing with him. How is this going to happen? It's not a challenge. She just really wants to know. And he responds to her with a sign. He gives her the sign of her cousin, Elizabeth, who was barren, was too old to have children, and was now in her sixth month pregnant with what ends up being John the Baptist. This is a wonderful sign. She can check on that. If Elizabeth's pregnant or she knows Elizabeth's pregnant, then as sure as Elizabeth's pregnant, then what has been told to her by Gabriel will come to pass. That's right. And we see her humble state in verses 47 and 48 when Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the humble state of his bondservant. So we see the first thing she does is she exalts and honors and worships the Lord. She recognizes this is her Savior, and she acknowledges her humility. Again, as we look in verses 50 and 51 and several of the verses in this Magnificat through verse 56, we see Mary quoting scripture. And she would only know that if she was a godly woman who was taught those things by her father. So the very first person we see is Mary, humble, trusting, anticipating the Lord. And we know as we read throughout all of scripture that she was faithful all the way through until the end as a godly woman who sought the Lord all her life. Well, then we look to her betrothed, Joseph. Now, Joseph, of course, isn't married to her as yet, but legally they are. In the ancient culture, when two people were betrothed, their marriage was solidified. If they didn't actually consummate their marriage, they would have to get a certificate of divorce. So we know from Scripture that they would not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born, and yet they were betrothed. The question is, what does Joseph do when he finds out Mary's pregnant? So we go over now to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and we read that the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, before they consummated their marriage, in other words, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. We see here that he was a righteous man. The word for righteous in the Greek is dikaios, which means holy, innocent, seeking the character of God. That is a special term that is used for a select number of people in Scripture. This man was so righteous, he wanted to honor God in everything that he did. And clearly he wants to honor God here because Instead of making a public spectacle of Mary, which he certainly could have done, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to disgrace her, even though in his mind she had disgraced him. I mean, how else could she be pregnant? But he didn't want to do that because he was righteous. He wanted to still honor her and do the right thing. So he was going to put her away or divorce her secretly so that she would not be shamed. Now, that's an honorable person who has been wronged himself, or so he thinks, and yet he doesn't want to wrong the other person. So in this instance, we do see Joseph's character. He doesn't know exactly what's really going on yet, but he's someone who has been prepared through Scripture to recognize when something is told to him, like this great news that's about to be told to him, he will be ready for it. So right now, he's having a normal human response to what's going on, but a very righteous man's response. And now we're going to see how 
he is prepared because of his understanding of Scripture to accept what Gabriel says. When he had considered what he should do, it says in verse 20 that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph is a man. He understands the history of the Bible. He understands Jewish traditions. He understands that in order to be saved from their sins, there has to be a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And he is told right here that Jesus is going to be that offering. Now, Mary, if you recall, was not told that. She was told that her son would be a king. He would be the most high God. But Joseph is being told what Jesus is going to do to save us from our sins. And then in verse 22, it says, Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates means God with us. So here we see that Joseph understood scripture. He knows that what he's being told is accurate and it matches up with prophecies of scripture. That means Joseph was a learned man of scripture, a man of prophecy, a man who followed God, a man who sought God because he's looking for the Savior who's going to be called Emmanuel. And because this fit with the prophecies that he already knew and understood, he was ready to get up and immediately do what the angel Gabriel told him to do. He was obedient. According to verse 24, Joseph arose from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife. And then as we read further in chapter 22, we see that Joseph, again, in other times, listened to an angel or listened to God in a dream and obeyed immediately, which saved the life of Jesus when he took Jesus to Egypt. And then when he brought Mary and Jesus back to Nazareth, God spoke to him. Then he listened because he was looking for God. He was anticipating God. And the next group of people we see are the shepherds. According to Luke chapter 2, they were just out doing their business. In verse 8, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. I can imagine. The angel spoke and said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all peoples. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. Again, these shepherds are out. They're doing their job. They don't know anything different about this day, but an angel and then more angels appear. What did they do when they were given this information? In verse 15, it says, It came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and find the way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. These shepherds obeyed the angels. They went and saw the Christ child. They were told that this is a Savior who was born to them, Christ the Lord. They didn't turn to each other and go, what? What's a Savior? Who's Christ the Lord? 
they seem to have known, anticipated that this was going to happen. Probably not that particular night, probably not even in their lifetimes. But they had some kind of understanding because when they were told, they immediately went and worshipped. And they didn't just worship. It said when they'd seen these things, they told other people that this was the Christ, the Savior of the world. Even though it doesn't give us great detail, there was indications here that they were honoring and glorifying God and they were anticipating him. And when the time came and it was brought to their attention, they actively sought him and then they shared him with others. We know shepherds weren't highly educated, but whatever their background was in understanding God and knowing who God was, they were chosen by God for this angelic visitation and this spectacular scene, how awe-inspiring all these angels and just the glory of the heavenly hosts appearing to these humble shepherds who then took it all in. And as you said, they went in haste to worship this baby. Well, they had to have known who he was because you don't worship anyone but God. Well, the favorite of mine in all of these stories is the Magi. And I tell you why is because these guys didn't just go from the hills into Bethlehem or walk as Mary and Joseph did from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. They traveled for weeks to follow a star. Why on earth would they do that? Well, because they were magi. They were astrologers. They were well-respected in the art of being able to read the skies. And they knew that this star was the star of the king. So we're told in Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. They were seeking him. They were looking for the star. They found the star. They followed the star for weeks, probably at night because they were following the star. They went to great lengths to find him and worship him. And when they found him, they fell down and worshiped him, it says in Matthew 2:11. They came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him and opening their treasures. They presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are expensive gifts. They were gifts honoring a king. These magis looked for him as a king. They sought him as a king. They anticipated him as a king. They honored and worshiped him as a king. The Magi, down through scripture and through history, had a prominent place in political environments. The kings looked to them. They trusted them for wisdom in how to make decisions. For example, in Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we're told that in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So the king looked to these kinds of people who were magicians or a magi who looked to the stars or astrology to be able to discern dreams and the signs of the times. In that story in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel was the only one who was able to tell the king his dream and then interpret the dream. So when Daniel did give the king an accurate interpretation, we're told in Daniel 2.48, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. That means that at that time, Daniel became their boss. 
He was a Hebrew from Israel who was taken as a slave to Babylon. And yet, because he could interpret the king's dream, the king put him in charge of all these other astrologers. Because of that, many people believe that what Daniel wrote in his book, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, which talks about the coming Messiah in Daniel 9.25, many people believe that he taught that to all these wise men throughout Babylon, which would have then gone into the Media Persian Empire, and these wise men might well have been from Media Persia at this time. So they would have learned all the information that Daniel had shared. That means they would have been anticipating the coming of the king of the Jews. And not just anticipating, but knowing the exact timing of when the Messiah would come. Because Daniel tells us, again, in Daniel 9.25, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So there was specifically going to be 69 weeks, which is 69 sevens, 483 years. They could discern right then exactly the timing because they know that the decree to restore and build Jerusalem happened in 445 BC. So looking for a star just solidifies what they were looking for. How could they see a star and how could it move? And if you notice, the star disappeared around Jerusalem, so they had to ask directions. And then again, it moved over to Bethlehem. That in itself was just miraculous to think that that could happen. These wise men, they never gave up. They kept going. They had a goal. They were anticipating the Messiah. They knew about the Messiah. He had been prophesied. They believed it. They gave of their time and their treasures and their talents to come worship him because they felt he was worthy. And they're the only Gentiles that are mentioned in this story showing that Jews and Gentiles alike would be worshiping the Messiah. And then we have the last group of people, which are Herod and the religious leaders. In Matthew 2, 3, when the Magi came to Herod, when he heard of it, he was troubled that the king of the Jews had been born and all Jerusalem with him. And so he gathered together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's been written by the prophet. And then they quoted Micah 5, 2. Herod wasn't seeking him. The religious leaders weren't seeking him. They had to go look to scripture to find out the answer when they were asked because it wasn't important to them. Then, of course, we saw later Herod plotted and Herod lied about worshiping and Herod killed the children under two because of the kind of man that he was. We have the religious leaders and the political leaders turning against God, not anticipating, not preparing, and therefore perpetrating evil when the Christ child is born. If nothing else, that should give you an example of today how we shouldn't follow our political leaders. We need to be careful of the religious leaders that we follow to make sure that they're following truth and they know truth. It was the humble people who were seeking God. It was the righteous people who anticipated the coming of the Messiah. So today, who are you? Are you one of the righteous who knows God, who knows his word, who knows the prophecies, who's anticipating the coming of the Messiah? Are you the humble person who recognizes that God is Lord and that he is returning and you want to be ready for him? Or would you identify with the political leaders who aren't paying attention to anything, who aren't prepared, who aren't even looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ, who doesn't think it's going to happen in your lifetime? Well, it may. Christ could return at any time. 
and he wants us to be ready. He wants us to be seeking him. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Anyone whose heart is completely his is seeking him all the time, is seeking his truth and his word, is seeking his return. Will you be one who seeks Jesus now and for the rest of your life? Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.